Hey everybody, welcome to episode three of the Mountain Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Lee. With my other host, you can just announce yourself this time. Now, I don't want to now. I want you to announce me. <laughs> With my co-host, Stephen Lewis. Hello. And we're going to talk about more mountain bike stuff tonight and uh, cover some news. I feel like we kind of launched this thing maybe at the wrong time. Maybe not, but we launched in the middle of the winter. There's not a whole lot going on in the mountain bike world right now. Well, looking at our news section, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. That's true. That's true. But and before we get into that, I just wanted to mention we, we've we've launched this podcast now for, geez, th- just this week. Um, we recorded a couple episodes and put them out so you'd have more than just one to listen to. And the response so far has been awesome. So we've seen people sharing it. We've seen people liking it. It's, it's really cool. We've gotten good feedback. We've been making some changes. And for example, the last episode was too long. We were going to try to keep it at 59 minutes or 60 minutes and that's it. So, uh, continue to add that stuff and send your questions and you can do so just go to mtbpodcast.com and you can send in questions and we can talk about that. If you have suggestions about the show or questions you want answered on the show, we can talk about them there. Um, and we've had a bunch of, uh, people following us on Instagram and Twitter and, and checking out our Facebook page and everything else to so do that. We're at MTB podcast or you on Twitter, we're at the MTB podcast. You can find us on there. Just add the V on there for Twitter, but check us out on there and share this thing out. If you guys wouldn't mind leaving reviews, if you feel like it's five stars, leave a review. If you feel like it's less, let us know why, and then we'll change it and hopefully make it a five star worthy podcast. It's the hope. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we'll go from there. So uh, the news, let's talk about that really quick. How about Bryceland? Yeah, right? Seriously. Uh, I got we, a lot of thoughts on this. And we kind of alluded to something happening in our last podcast with Bryceland. Yeah, and for those that don't know, Josh Bryceland, he's known as Rat Boy. He's raced for a Santa Cruz syndicate for a while now. Uh, geez, like six years maybe. It's been a long time. So, um, so he's been with them for a long time. Uh He's known for his, he's got kind of like an effortless style in some ways. He's kind of just, he never looks the fastest. No, um, but he looks the best. But he's, he looks really composed Very and exciting. smooth. Yeah. He's extremely naturally talented, but perhaps more so he's known for uh, just the rat boy lifestyle yeah. and the way he speaks. Uh, well, which, let's not get carried away and call it speaking. <laughs> yeah, that's true, right? The mumbles. Uh, but he's, uh, rat boy lived, lives life on the edge. Uh, lives loose and it was kind of an outlier. He's, he's a lot more like Rob Warner and those guys from the back in the days than what we see. Most of the downhill top guys are like now, you know? Yeah. So he's definitely different, but he's done with world cup downhill. He just said, I'm done. What's he going to do now? Is he just going to be rat boy? Um, yeah. I mean, he might be able to make a career off being rat boy, right? Yeah. I mean, he is an interesting character, of course, and it's always fun to listen to to what he says and and ever, and try to understand what he's saying. But he's, I mean, he does have a lot of bike skill. He could create some content that a lot of people would like, of course. You know, I mean, I don't know. What do you think is next? I, well, there was was there even rumorings? I believe in the Pink Bike Post uh, talking about seeing him possibly at Enduros. Yeah, he said that he is interested in doing some enduro rounds, uh, Crankworks. He's going to do the DH uh, races at Crankworks. He's going to do a few other things, and I think he has some like film projects or something lined up to do some other stuff. But 
I think he's going to be more of like a free rider that occasionally does DH now rather than a DH rider that just lives life rowdy and occasionally did free ride ish stuff. Yeah. So he's going to just kind of flip that, that whole balance on his head, which this is kind of a big deal because, uh, I mean, if you look at, he's one of, he didn't have a good year last year. No, I think he placed what, uh, 15th was his best. Yeah. It wasn't spot. great. Yeah. It wasn't great. And that, I think that was a Valdisol. And Valdisol. Then he had the the year before wasn't too great, but that was coming back from that crazy injury that he had yeah. uh, when he overjumped that over under and just completely destroyed his foot. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, that year before he destroyed his foot, he was on fire. Yeah. And it was almost weird. Like, how was he so good that year? Well, was he more focused? Maybe. I don't know. On winning versus being Rat Boy? Yeah, Which, who knows? What do we want? Do we want him to be faster or do we want him to be Rat Boy? That's a good question, too. I feel like you're his father right now. You're asking like very <laughs> contemplative questions. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, he's, I think this is a significant move. Yeah. Yeah, I, and, and uh, I think that he'll probably find a way to manage things. I don't think he'll become an orator at any point soon. I don't think that he'll be speaking on behalf of anybody. No. Um, but, but just uh, the same. And also, what is team management for Syndicate? Are they fully on board with this? Or are they, we, yeah. And I think he's leaving Syndicate and doing that 50 to 1 thing, which oh, is basically yeah. just like his, I think it's ba- like a brand under which they're going to be just putting out content that's, it reminds me of something from the dirt bike world called dirt bike kids. Okay. And it's like Twitch and all his buds and they just like do wheelies on the street and don't wear helmets. So shame on all of them for doing that. And they just like kind of show like a zero F's given lifestyle. And, and that's kind of like what the 50 to one's it's almost like the like. original crusty demons. Of dirt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Kind of if we want to go really old school right. on it. So I, I listened to this. So I had to listen to this video cause I was driving. I was not watching it, um, but I listened to it. And, uh, if anybody's ever listened to rap boy, it's, it's really hard to understand. Like he does not speak English as we know English. No, he speaks his own variant. He speaks rat and Google only gets about 60%. That was surprising to me. Like that. So I've, uh, with trainer road with our podcast and different stuff we've done, I've done voiceover stuff and content before and Google translate doesn't pick up everything I say, or I should say they not translate, but it has an automatic uh, closed captioning generating tool that you can use and doesn't pick up everything. But it was, I mean, it wasn't completely wrong with rat boy. No, which is pretty impressive. And for you, it's like does not compute. Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, but Rat Boy speaks his own language. Uh, he beats. He marches to the beat of his own drum, and he speaks his own language. So this is Rat Boy talking right now. What three downhillers would you take to a bar? Oh man, so now what three downhillers would I take to a bar? Stevie, man, gotta be Stevie. I don't even know. No, I don't know either. Was that a joke? Three downhillers walk into a bar. I don't and then... know. I, I heard Stevie and Kavarik. Yeah, that's it. And then a guy named Fabian at some point. 
but I don't know what happened there at all. So that's Rat Boy. And I, I'm, I, I hope that it doesn't come off like we're condescending at all. Like Rat Boy is his own beast, and I think he does that by decision. I think it's smart because yeah. how many other guys can you think of that finished outside the top three in UCIDH that you actually know of their names and you know where they finished and you follow them and are interested in them? Nobody. That's the thing, right? Yeah. And so what he's done is he's in a very, and I'm sure people after they hear that, some people might be thinking, oh, he doesn't sound intelligent, but he's doing something intelligent here. I mean, he's kind of transcended that hierarchy. Yeah, he's branded him. himself released yeah. effectively. So. And, and we love Rat Boy. Oh, yeah. We aren't being condescending. Not at all. Yeah. We just it, can't understand what he's saying. It's going to be pretty sad not having Rat Boy on the tour this year. Absolutely. So I'll miss it. But um, uh, along the lines of, of, uh, wild bros on the downhill tour, Rob Warner, uh, who was the announcer that announced, of course, I mean, he's the announcer on Red Bull TV, but he also announced the very famous clip of Danny Hart, um, doing that downhill run in the mud and goodness gracious. I can't remember where it was, but it blew everybody's mind. Yeah. Um, and Rob Warner, he is long since retired, but Coman Saul picked him up uh, like he's like an ambassador or something for the brand. Okay. And then they also picked up Yoan Borelli who left giant. He was the guy that was hitting the downhill courses on his cross bike this year. If yes. you saw any of that. Yep. So they're on Coen Saul, but then there are a bunch of riders off and it's, it's kind of weird. So coming from a PR background myself, like I'm seeing a lot of press releases going out or announcements about these riders not having contracts. And number one, the only reason that you announce your rider is off of a deal is because they're looking for something that's, I mean, that's otherwise, why would you, you know, announce that they're off? You just announced that they've moved to this company and that's so where they're at. Menar's not going to be wearing a helmet this year. <laughs> that's yeah. Cause they, they said, for example, they said Menar off Kabuto helmets. That's, I think I saw that on, on pink bike and I'm just thinking, well, first of all, he wasn't on a helmet. He was wearing a helmet, but you know, grammar aside and everything else, he, there are a lot of people without rides or losing sponsorships this year. Yeah. I know it's just after January one and a lot of contracts in the downhill and mountain biking world laps on January one, uh, in the motocross world, it tends to happen a lot earlier, which is what I've been more familiar with my whole life. Yeah. But so I know it, it usually happens around this time, but it seems like there are a lot of downhill guys without rides right now. Well, you know, one aspect of that could be that. Uh, just coming from the industry or being in the industry previously, last year was a terrible year for sales in the bike industry at large, both parts, accessories, major brands, you know, the bike and brands, it's predicted everybody. that next year is supposed to be worse. Yes, exactly. So why it, is that? Do you know why it follows? So and I've been told that it's a, it's a cycle that happens every certain well, number of years. I think I there's a, that's right. I think there's a cycle to it, but I also think that, uh, especially in America, I can't really say what's happening in Europe right now, but I know in America after the recession, when everybody started hoarding their money and holding on to it and then getting out of it in 2012, 13, 14, people all went out and spent a bunch of money. Oh, economy's getting better. Things are getting better. I'm back at work. So mm -hmm. I'm going to go ahead and buy a brand new bike and a brand new helmet and brand new gear and and I'm going to go ahead and spend some of that money that I've been holding on to. Makes sense. So we kind of initiated one of those cycles right then, I think. So what does that mean? So I've actually talked to riders, uh, pro professional riders on the cross country circuit, very well known ones, uh, that all people listening to this podcast, I'm sure know, know these people's names. And they told me, uh, earlier this year, they were saying, yep, I don't have a ride for next year yeah. right now. And uh, the reason I've been told is because next year is supposed to be a really bad year, so they're cutting all the budgets back for race teams. Yeah. 
And it's happening on the road side of things. It's happening in cyclocross. It's happening in mountain biking, all different facets of mountain biking. Yep. It's kind of a, I don't know if it's a preemptive thing that they're kind of cutting back or what. I know Giant, I heard Giant Bikes laid off 5,000 people. Yeah. Which is That's crazy. That's like half a percent of their workforce worldwide, isn't it? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, good point. <laughs> um, but it's a lot of people. Uh, I know a local road team, the Herbalife Mark Pro team. They're well, local. They're in the NorCal area. One of the best road teams, the non-pro road teams in the in the nation. They were with Giant and Giant pulled everything out of like amateur sponsorship. That's gone. Yep. And, uh, so a lot of teams and people are scrambling for, for rides this year. I know only, only one of my friends in the mountain biking world said that their sponsorship, their uh, team is being upped in sponsorship. Everybody else has been cut. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. And I saw that also the Cannondale Enduro series or sorry, the UK Enduro series uh, is canceled. It's sponsored by, by Cannondale over there. That, that one's canceled Yeah, uh, for funding issues they cited. So I think it's going to be a lean year, but hopefully we can cut through it. Uh, I, I blame fat bikes. It's all fat bikes. It's fault. just their fault. That's yeah. the problem. And roadies. If people would have saved their money, not bought fat bikes, they could buy a good bike now. Yeah, exactly. Sorry for everybody that rides a fat bike and likes it. Um, anyways, moving on. Pretty sweet bike for a cheap price. There was a, an employee today at Trainer Road, one of my one of my coworkers, he was talking to me about getting a mountain bike and Um, I was talking and he was talking about like how cheap these bikes are, like what's the cheapest price on them. And I showed him YT because they, you know, YT direct to consumer, a lot cheaper. They're also from here in Reno. So shout out to the YT guys. But, um, I showed him that, but this is another one. And you didn't even know this until I just said something. Yeah. I had seen it, but I didn't realize the price point was this low. Yeah. It's the Uh, Marin Hawk Hill. Yeah. Uh, You're... This this build right out of the gate, fourteen hundred ninety nine bucks for an alloy frame. It's I I don't even know what to say. Like it's phenomenal for what it is. And if you honestly, I mean, I know a lot of us always poo poo the fact that mountain biking isn't affordable. And and I mean, don't get me wrong, fifteen hundred dollars is not just a you know a drop in the bucket. No, it's still a lot of money. Absolutely. But for $1,500, you're getting, it's an SLX derailleur, I think, on it, right? That's all Dior. Dior. It's good. Good Dior's build. good, man. One by 11, or one by 10. It's yeah. got the Sunrace 1142 rear cassette on it. So you've still got a wide range. Yeah. Um, it's got, it's still got decent cranks on it. It's got, it looks like uh, some type of a Pike variant, but like a lower end one on the front. I'm um, not sure what shock it is, but. It's, um, it's one of the X fusions, but the thing is four. it's, it's full air lockouts, yeah. full adjustability. This is a good build. Yeah. It comes with Hans Domp front and rear 27 mil internal wheels. I mean, this, this build is actually for, for what it costs. It's modernized too. Yeah. It's pretty rad. 780 mil bars. It's. And we know some folks that um, are on the Marin Rabobank team. Yes, we do. We've ridden with them. We have. Um, you can see it on my YouTube channel. Uh, we posted up a, a ride from that when Stephen hugged the tree. Very, very, very not gently. I thought you died. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Um, but they, uh, those things, that's the cool part about Marin bikes. I think a lot of people always point to like, if you want a bike and you need to get something that's lower cost, then you go with one of the big three being specialized giant or Trek because they deal on such large volume that you can get a bike for cheap, right? That's usually sound advice in most yeah, cases. Absolutely. But I mean, this move by Marin, 
I don't see other bikes being that affordable that are that that are this modernized. Yeah. Because a lot of the time what happens with the big three is that it's kind of like last year's tech and two-year-old components are getting thrown on that bike. Yeah. Like you can probably get a fuel EX from Trek in a similar price point, but it's definitely going to be a little bit more basic. It's going to have like 21 mil internal width wheels. and That weigh 2,200 grams. And yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's pretty cool. So I I think it's, um, yeah, I, I think it's pretty cool to see. It's good to see more brands branching out and putting newer tech at a cheaper price for people to get makes it so that you can buy that bike and hold on to it for a number of years and it's still relevant. So absolutely. Yeah. Kudos Marin pretty rad and don't say mountain biking isn't affordable. It's might be getting more affordable. Uh, another thing that I saw this week from Nate Hills, uh, he posted a video of Kyle Mears going down this feature in Moab and I, I can't remember the name of the feature, but it seriously gave me anxiety watching this. <laughs> it's he's yep. probably what a hundred feet off the ground when he oh, starts. Minimum, I it's probably one hundred and fifty feet up. But yeah, and he it's it's all it's it's slick rock. Yeah, and it's so it's just sandstone, solid sandstone, and I think the camera angle makes things look even more steep than they are because it genuinely looks like he is going down vertical, like straight down. And just by the fact that he didn't come unstuck from that surface, I assume that it wasn't fully vertical, yeah. but it has to be darn near. Yeah. Um, check it out. Uh, it's on Vital MTB. You can see it or just go check out Nate Hill's uh, social channels and you can see it there uh, on Instagram. You can check it out. So, uh, but those guys, Kyle Mears is a guy that shreds Moab. And I've learned a lot just from watching his lines. Uh, and that's all through Nate's channel. Yeah, that I've found on Nate Hill's channel watching the follow cam Friday. Nate's usually following him and I can, it's like a school of how to ride a trail in a unique way, but do so efficiently. Yeah. He's so good. Yep. So something that's interesting there. Um, the vital vital came out with their bikes of the day. We're going to brag here for, for a, a minute, whole guys. year. They put them all together. And if you look at 17 seconds and four minutes and 40 seconds, you'll see our bikes. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. We both made bike of the day last year. That's right. Yeah. And we're, we're going to make it again for sure this of year. Course. So, uh, my bike was put up right when I first started building it. So it doesn't have any of the sticker decals on it. It doesn't have a number of different things like the dropper post wasn't on there or anything else. But, uh, once I put the dropper post on there, I'm sure that it will get picked up by Vital MTB, right? If I put up that picture. Well, of course, it's a so trail bike now. It has a dropper. Yeah. Therefore, it's more bro. Yes. So, um, oh, that was the other thing I wanted to talk about. Something I saw on singletracks.com this week, and this got passed around in our company and our private Slack channel at Trainer Road. And it's uh, uh, it got passed around by like non-mountain bikers. And it's kind of... It's really, it's like a walkthrough on how to become a mountain bike bro. And it's shockingly accurate for a lot of us. So basically, uh, it's, it says how to become a bro bra mountain biker in 25 easy steps. And it's got a dude chilling with uh, his goggles around his neck, which by the way, as a moto guy, I can't handle how mountain bikers use their goggles. Try like when they aren't using their goggles, I should say what they do with their goggles. What are we supposed to do? You're supposed to take your goggles off by reaching to the strap behind the helmet, pull it forward, take your goggles off and just place them on your handlebars. So that all the video cameras can see who your goggle sponsor is. That that part too. Yeah. Oh, but you take them off because you take care of your goggles. Of course. But mountain bikers pull the strap. First of all, like if you have your strap 
not in line with the bottom. So if you look at the line that is drawn from the bottom of your helmet, yes, that line, that angle should match the angle of your goggle strap. Yes. This is like a fashion faux pas if you do not follow this, right? Of course. If your goggle strap is angled down, it's as goon as you can get, right? You are a squid. Okay. Um, so you're, you're a Jerry or a Joey, however you want to say it. Okay. Mountain bikers pull, dirt bikers never even want their goggle strap to enter those nether regions of the lower helmet. And mountain bikers purposely. They purposely pull it down. And then they'll put them around their neck, which so they get sweat all over them. It's it's gross. Yeah. And then you're also smashing the frame and messing up the foam. Of course. Or they take them and they stretch them around their chin bar, which is like, it's unspeakable. Um, when they, they yeah, it's it's terrible. Yeah, a heinous crime. Or they lift them up and they put them like underneath their visor, but still like resting on the helmet, so they can only see halfway out. Yeah. So they're they're looking up all the time, you know. Uh, anyways, that's my goggle rant with mountain bikers. It doesn't matter in the end. No. Does it? No, I don't am, I, so. am I coming across like a snobby roadie right now? Or a snobby motocrosser. <laughs> yeah, probably. Okay. Let's no, get- put your toe mirrors down. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's get into it really quick. Um, first of all, they say bro bikes. A new bike purchase shall not be less than $5,600. Uh, I don't agree with that. No. We just covered that. Yeah. The Marin Hawk Hill. But... I can, and I don't think bros are necessarily concerned. They don't rank people on how much they spent on their bike. Well, they more rank them on how cool their bike is, but not directly. It's like an, in, that's like a, that's like, we're talking about correlation rather than causation almost there in the sense that like, we really care about as in mountain bikers. We care about what they've done to build up that bike. We don't care how much they spend on it. Well, of course, you know, yeah, who cares? As long as it's built up right. Number two, they say eighty percent of new bike purchases shall be upgraded with within one year of ownership. Guilty as charged, of course. Yep. Three, rear travel shall be no less than one hundred and fifty millimeters. Oh, you're you're done on that I one right there. I'm not a bro. Yeah, you are a bro. No, I've no, got you're one not a bro forty. Either. You're yeah, on forty. I'm not a bro. You're not a bro. Okay. Let's keep going with this. Strict adherence to the principles of LLS, long, low, and slack, including but not limited to head tube angle no steeper than sixty six point five degrees. I am not a bro, according to that. I'm a bro. Chain stays no longer than 425 millimeters. Definitely a bro. Yeah, I think that I am a bro there too. You would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, bottom bracket height no taller than 345 millimeters. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, stem no longer than 50 millimeters. I am not a bro. I'm a bro there too. You're a bro, yeah. Uh, number five, of the following no less than four shall match in color. Hubs, stems, grips, saddle, cranks, seat collar, pedals. I've got a I've got a bone to pick with this one. Well, I don't because all of mine are black. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Don't go with colored components that match and it always drives me nuts when a person gets a frame and it's got let's just say green, it's a black frame with green on it. Okay. So then they think well, my saddle's got to be green, my grips have to be green, my stem has to be green, my hubs have to be green, my cranks have to be green or my chain ring. No, they don't. They don't have to be green. <laughs> if it's black, it's okay. But otherwise, like if it's another, when you put too many accents of color on your bike, it looks cheap. Of course. You know? That's you gotta, why. You got to balance things out. That's why all the turquoise stuff on my bike, I accentuated with orange grips and an orange SLS. Yours is spring. balanced. Yours is tastefully done. I'd say that yours is right up to like the limit of where if you did more, which that's why you didn't do more because you're right there. But if you did more, then it would be, it would be getting too much. Uh, with my bikes, I prefer to always, and this is, geez, I am really snobby right now. But you I, are. Yeah, I am. Um, but I always look at my bike and I think of color balance 
and I've been made fun of for this before, but basically I have a turquoise frame on my Yeti, right? So it's a turquoise frame. I want that to pop and I want the the lines of the frame and everything else to be the focal point. So everything else on my bike is just matte black. Very sub- subdued. Yes. Yeah. Everything else. Yep. And my, my cassette is black, not because of any other reason than it needed to just go with that theme, everything else, right? If it's black, it's all good to make it match. But if you're talking about bright anodized colors, just don't do it. Yeah. It looks and you know what? You can't get carbon cranks in other colors. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And if you do, it's going to chip off anyway. Yeah, exactly. It'll look like garbage. Number six, you will henceforth detest the following. Fat bikes. Good. Check. E-bikes. Check. Check. Flat bars. Check. I run flat bars. <laughs> <laughs> don't you run them upside down oh, too? ASR? No, I do not. Okay, good. I ran True Vatives last year. No, the year before last on the the specialized that I had, and they were a very flat bar. But when I would take pictures with my camera, the distortion would make the bars look like they were all like inverted, pretty much like penny farthing bars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was accused of such such treachery, but that was not the case. Okay. Um, but and then stems over sixty millimeters, I don't hate them. I think that they do have a place in certain scenarios. Of course. So uh, tires smaller than two point three inches wide. I mean, if you want to win a cross country race, you're going to run a smaller tire, but yeah. And I, I think we're getting close to that where we're going to have 2.3 and above tires and XC. We're yeah, getting looking there. at high volume wheels and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I want wider tires, Yeah, but I'm stuck with 2.2s because of weight. Yep. Exactly. Right. So I guess I'm kind of a bro there and any component older than two years. Not true. Some things that are two years old are still great. Yeah. So, uh, while bros prefer carbon, it does not significantly augment your brohood. Truth. Okay. In fact, if anything, it might discount it. Like when you see a bro with just all aluminum stuff, he's very bro. He is. Yeah. Especially if he has like lime green Atlas bars. Yes. Yeah. Lots of bro. Chromag. Chromag. Yes. Or other brands. Yeah. 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 Chromag's very bro. Spank. Yes. Yeah, spank. Yes. Very bro. The width of your handlebars is directly proportional to your broness. 760 millimeters minimum. Uncut 800s here. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I'm at 740s. But those bars came at 740, right? 760s. So oh, ooh. cut them down. Yeah. Well, yeah. Fortunate. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> well, I, the way I do this is, this sounds silly, but I basically, when I'm doing push-ups, and I have my arms out and they're in a normal like attack position and I measure that. And uh, a great way to do this is if you have foam grips, like ESIs or anything else like that, or just normal grips, look at where your hands are wearing on your grips. And I always, I had 700 in 700s before because that was the widest I could get in the true rate of bars. And the edges of my grips were completely worn off because my hands were like on the edge. But anything wider than that and I wouldn't need it. So I'm like perfectly centered with 740s. I have a pretty small frame. And being serious for a moment about bike fit, you not everybody should be on an 800 mil bar. That's a great point. Really shoulder, you know, broadness of shoulders. uh, There's a lot that go into it. So I don't necessarily agree or disagree with the 760 minimum. Right. But yeah, for a person with a smaller frame, they might use less. I've got a big frame. I've got 800s. Yep, exactly. Uh, bro peril section. Glasses are acceptable as long as it's not coupled with a full face. Agreed. Yes, I will agree with that. But no one will question your bro ship and goggles. They may not question your bro ship, but I would question many times. And I see guys with a helmet, like an open face helmet, half helmet, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and goggles, if they don't shred, I judge them. Okay. Like if they aren't like really good. Okay. So then I'm okay. 
Yeah. Because I wear goggles and a half shell all the time. But you're good. Yeah. That's the difference, right? But when I see guys do that and they're not good, then it's just that they're they're a tryhard, you know? So gotta be you gotta be quick to pull that look off. Of course. And then he says, bro tip, get goggles with the nose piece. I don't even know what that means. Oh, the little beak? The little beak, like on 100%'s racecraft goggles. Those That's super Euro. And I take those off on every single pair. That's super Euro. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number 10, not that there's anything wrong with Europe, by the way. No. Anyways, number 10, making make matching shirts for your posse and give yourselves a name like Insert Hometown Shredders, Triple Threat, Wolfpack, Trail Slayers with a Z, and Broback Mountain. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. That's pretty funny. And I actually shout out to the Descendant crew uh, from San Luis Obispo. They have pretty much done this exact thing. Yeah. So we've even had a fantastic name with instead of Descendant, but like the Descendants almost, you know, like the, the group. But Descend It. But Descend It, like you're sending it. Yep. Get it? Yeah. I'm a dad, so those jokes make sense for me. Um, it says bro tip. Bros aren't typically creative here. I'm not going to say that 11, uh, body armor must on every ride be equal or to be equal to, or more than knee and elbow pads. Yeah. I never I wear any unless it's required. Yeah. You, yeah. You're, you hugged a tree and you were okay at like 40. So yeah. yeah. Um, number 12, like or chamois bibs are allowed only if underneath a pair of baggies. Agreed. I am not a bro in this case because sometimes I just wear Lycra. I mean, a racing Lycra. Yeah. Yeah. Um, baggies shall have an inseam no shorter than 15 inches. I guess, but that depends. I like, if I'm going to wear knee pads, I want baggies that go below my kneecap. Of course. If you don't have knee pads and you're just like trail riding, no. I mean, I'm not saying rock gym shorts or something that's super short, but I, my quarry shorts that I have, they come down to just the top of my knee. They're so like they're like perfect. a 13 and a half, almost yeah. 14 inch. Yeah. Yeah. They're perfect. Uh, so, uh, number 13, convert to a fanny pack and call it a shuttle pack. <laughs> Lols. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> shuttle pack. That's insecurity right there. Uh, number 14 plaid flannel only after labor day. I agree with that. Cause actually I yes. ordered a Yeti plaid there you are. jersey the week after labor day this year. So there we are. It's my first plaid. Well, and if you're Canadian, I think you can get away with that year round. Well, of course. Any, anytime you can wear yeah, flannel. Of course. Flannel. Flad flannel. Flannel. I just made a thing. Copyright that. Yeah, there we are. Bro tip. Just be prepared when the white socks. Oh, uh, sorry. Number 15. For the time being, no white socks, even when not riding. I mean it. And then they say, bro tip. Just be prepared when white socks make a comeback. I've always been a black sock guy. This year, I'm running black socks on mountain bikes still. But on road, I'm running white socks. I don't run anything white ever. And mountain biking, it does not make sense. To I get too dirty. Socks. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean I don't wear loud socks. Yeah. You I do. mean, I'm known for wearing loud socks. Quite. That's what I do. Quite. But I don't have anything white, and I wouldn't even do it on road. Yeah, white socks look. Re- they're like a classic look on road, and they are a nightmare to keep clean. Well, yeah. And, and on road, you know, if you had like a really nice eight-inch cuff on them. I yeah. could imagine them being, you know, super classy. Yep. But yeah. I, I have seven inch and eight inch white socks that I use with white shoes. But I have black and white houndstooth pattern compression socks that are knee high, and I would wear those over white your, socks any day. With your tutu when you when you race cyclocross. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> It'd be a good look. It'd be a yeah. good look, yeah. Number 16, you must own at least one product from each of the following companies. Troy Lee Designs, I don't own one. Nope. Dekine, I own a duffel bag. I don't own anything from Dekine. 
Chromag because it rhymes with Bromag. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't have anything. I don't have a need for any boat anchors, so I don't have anything from Chromag. <laughs> Number 17, while the functionality of gloves will never be announced, consider going gloveless for Instagram photo shoots. I hate this. I don't do gloveless. I don't get it. I don't get it either. And like, if you really think that your gloves stop you from feeling the bars, which that is such a mood argument. You're just trying to be a bro, right? If you really think that, then you just need better gloves. Very true. That's very true. Yeah. Right. You don't need a gauntlet, you know, like a leather gauntlet. You don't need a ski racing glove. Yeah. What is it? The the Fox bomber or Fox? Yeah. With like a carbon fiber molded knuckle. You don't need that. Yeah. Yeah. You can go way more simple. So, I mean, I, I know hand-up gloves. They're a friend of the podcast. Hand-up's a great glove. They're pretty rad. Yeah. Um, I use Yeti gloves personally. They're I a like Duro them. glove. They're super, super thin, light. Very light, very breathable. They don't stretch out, too. No. Which is the key with light gloves. You want to make sure they don't stretch. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, brocabulary is the final section. Well, it is beyond the scope of these guidelines to include a comprehensive list of bro speak. Here are the essentials. Bro, bra, bruh. See article introduction, which I use bruh very sarcastically. I've never once used that. Is it even possible to use that seriously? I don't know. Who knows? I... Um, when addressing it, yeah, I'm going to skip all that. Anyways, stoked. Yep. I could, yeah, for sure. Definitely stoked. Yeah. Lots of stokage. I use stoked too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but pretty sarcastically many times. Uh, sketchy. I use that non-sarcastically. I use that with regularity. Can we not talk about the next one? I have a personal distaste for the word YOLO. <laughs> I was born in YOLO County. <laughs> well, that's fine. That's a place. <laughs> yeah. I feel embarrassed now, though. They'd even be born from there because they they graced that or they'd really tarnish that. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody that d- d- declares YOLO, I don't have they ever done anything cool. No. Prior to like, you know, after that declaration, nothing cool is followed. No. And we already we know that. That's yeah. the whole point of our existence is you do only live once. We get it. <laughs> it's clear. Yeah, it's very clear. Nobody's questioning that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, so that was on single tracks. Thought it was funny. Uh, really, the bromag part was all I was living for, really. Pretty much. One. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, anyways, uh, continuing really quick, John Tomac, they, on cyclingtips.com, which is more of a roadie site, I know, but Neil Rogers, a really good guy uh, from Colorado, And cycling tips is mostly an Australian site, but he's from Colorado and uh, Neil's a mountain biker himself. He owns a Yeti, I think. Okay. So he's probably a good human. Um, And he, uh, he's a great guy. And he did this interview with John Tomac and it's pretty cool. It's just for anybody that doesn't know who John Tomac is or have like a really solid knowledge, this is a good basic refresher on his career. And it's really cool. And keep in mind, this is more written for the, from the perspective of educating roadies on John Tomac. And I'm really stoked that Neil takes the time to do that because he doesn't have to. He could probably just ride on roadies all day. Yeah. But he wrote about John Tomac and it was awesome because John, Johnny T or the general, he's a legend. Oh, he's a, he's a super legend. And he's amazing. He's one of the first, you know, really the beginning of mountain biking, the, the birth of it. Oh yeah. You know, it, there are videos of him on a drop bar. Um, an old Yeti on a drop bar drifting down off camber sections when it's just like rock hard dirt with just loose on top. And he's just drifting the back end the whole time, like hardly on the brakes, just pinned and in this, the drops in this, the one of the pictures in <laughs> this uh, cycling tips article is just after that hill. Yep. It's I know that picture. Pretty amazing. Yeah. So 
he's incredible. Uh, that that guy, and he actually, I think that he had some type of uh, um, something similar, I think, to asthma, something like that. His son Eli has mentioned, mm-hmm. and that kind of really, I think that he would have probably kept going for a while in the sport because he was still doing so well. Yeah, but um, it kind of pushed him out a bit. So uh, Eli says he still shreds going down, like oh. shreds going down. But Eli has the upper hand going up. And for those that don't know, his son Eli is a professional Supercross racer, and I'm he's my he's my heart's pick for the Supercross title this year. And I know this is a mountain bike podcast, so a lot of you may not care about Supercross. Are you excited about A one? Oh, I can't wait. Okay, yeah, I can't wait. In Season fact, he's an opener. Pretty bummed that I'm not going to be there. Uh, I was all set to go down there, but uh, instead we're going to Oakland. Mm. So. You know, oh, you're going to go to the Oakland Supercross, not just like I'd love to go to A1, but no, the yeah, scenic yeah, no, no. beauty yeah, yeah. of Oakland yeah, is no, calling. Yeah, no. Last time we were in the Oakland Coliseum, it was raining at this race, right? And when it was raining, we I looked over at like the aisle next to me, and the water it was raining a lot. There was water running down the steps at the Coliseum. Yeah, it was black water. Because that's the floor of, of the stadium is so dirty. Yeah, that the water just runoff was black. It was disgusting. So, and we also, when we got out of the stadium, every single trash can in the parking lot was aflame with hobos circled around it. It was, uh, well, how are they going to keep warm after a rain? I mean, it logically makes sense. Don't get me wrong, but it's just a unique place. We also got like frisked when we walked in and they didn't allow us to bring umbrellas. And we asked why. And the guy said, because you'll stab somebody with it. It's just a different way of living in Oakland. It's just a different deal. You want to call it living. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, um, apologies to anybody in Oakland, but I'm going to be there for that. I'm excited for Supercross, and if there are any Supercross fans that listen to this, um, let us know. Uh, if you ever want to talk to any of the guys, I, I know a good amount of the Supercross racers pretty well, the guys up there, and uh, we can get some cool insights as to how they use mountain biking for training and yeah. a bunch of cool stuff. So There's a lot of the cross athletes, you know, both in in the motorcycle world, the ski world. There's, There's a bunch. I, yeah. I mean, I ride bikes all summer with David Weiss. Yeah, you know, Olympic, Olympic Olympian. free skier. It's amazing. It's, you know, there's a lot of them. So. Darren Rolves rips around here all the time yep. too. So yeah. yeah, so we could get some interesting stuff, but I, I'm, I'm excited for a one. Um, and I'll be doing a, I'll be doing fantasy league stuff and the whole thing all through the year. So wait, they do fantasy supercross. Oh now? yeah, of course they do. They've done it for years. Oh. They give away like trucks and huge prizes. It's pretty rad. So anyways, <clears throat> let's get into kind of the meat of things for today. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about training, which downhill bros don't don't stop listening right now and enduro bros. I want to talk about how it could be beneficial across the board, but more than anything, I want to talk about how to implement training. Which has always been a problem of mine. Why? I don't know where to start. I don't know how to structure things other than getting a good old trainer road training plan and sitting on a trainer <laughs> That's inside. A nice plug. <laughs> it is a nice plug. Uh, so in all fairness, that is what you've done, but yeah. yeah. Uh, so where do you start? Yeah. So I, I think that, um, and I talked about this on Brian Kennedy's YouTube channel, BKXC the other day, but basically for us mountain bikers, when we ride our mountain bikes, we don't have structure in them. Uh, we ride it much like an enduro race in the sense that like, Usually we cruise up to the top with our homies and then we rip down, right? You haven't ridden with a lot of my friends. It's true. Yeah. But it's not like in most cases when you're talking about the majority of mountain bikes. Of course. Right? Yeah. Uh, And as a result, we don't have much structure in terms of when I talk about structure, I'm talking about working 
at a specific intensity for a specific amount of time. But with the changing terrain and changing it's so hard grades, it. it's impossible. Exactly. And that's the hard thing about mountain biking and training when you're outside like that is it's just um, really interval work is the best way for us to get faster. Well, it, it is the only way to get faster. I love whenever people say like, what have you been doing? Oh, I've been doing intervals. Well, that's just training. It's the same thing, yeah. right? So, um, but it's getting in that structure on the trail is so hard because it's constantly variable, but that's what we need to get faster. But here's the, here's the thing. I think a lot of, and I've ridden with mountain bikers and you go out and you ride with them. And sometimes they're like, yeah, I've just got to get in some intervals today. So I'm going to do, you know, if I disappear for 10 minutes, it's because I'm doing my 10 minute interval. That makes for a really crappy group ride yeah, it does. with your friends. Yep. When some guy is worried about his training, so he's going to go off and do that. Yeah. Then it makes all of us hate training even more because it's making that guy lame. And that's what we think in our minds. And I think it's because we're just doing it wrong. Okay. And we need to go about it in a different way. So basically, and this is something that really bold that I'm about to suggest. Okay. But I think mountain bikers should use the trainer even more than road riders. Okay. Bold. Very bold. But this is why. Because when we ride our bikes, it's fun, and we shouldn't waste a single moment of it. But when you're riding a road bike, it's not necessarily fun. You're just pedaling on a road. Yeah. But on a mountain bike, when we're out there, we want to be just enjoying the experience as to however we want to enjoy the experience. And if we want to do structure, we should separate that. And there's honestly no better place to do structure than the trainer, because if you even try to do intervals out on the road, you're going to have changing road surfaces, wind, cars, you're going to have traffic lights, you're going to have stop signs, you're going to have changes in pitch, everything else, right? Of course. All of that's going to throw off your training and it's going to extend your 30 to 60 to maybe 90 minutes, but probably just 30 to 60 minutes of structured work into three hours yeah. because it's constantly going to get interrupted and you'll have to make up for it. And then you're not getting the workout that you needed anyway. So on a trainer, you have zero distractions, 30 to 60 minutes of structured work. You get it done. You cross it off the list yep. and then you get out. And with two of those sessions a week, like of just structured work. And when I talk about that, I'm talking about, you know, spending a, a certain amount of time at a certain amount of intensity and then offsetting that with some rest and then coming back and doing that again. If you do that a few times a week, you will see massive improvements. And In how long? I mean, so usually it's about six weeks is what people see four to six weeks and they start to see an improvement. Okay. And really the goal with it and the, the key with it isn't just doing the same workout every time because you need to shock the system, so to speak. Of course. And you want to be bringing new challenges to your body as you go about it. So, you know, lay something out for mountain bikers on how to get the fitness that they need to a just not be that guy that screws up a group ride. Yeah. So like you're the guy that's like, just dragging behind everybody, always stopping, making everybody stop way too much, complaining that you think something's wrong with your bike when really it's just, you know, you're not fit, right? Nobody wants to be that guy and nobody likes that guy. Yeah. So if A, that's your goal, or B, your goal is to actually do well for a race, yeah. these two things apply. Basically, what you want to do is when you first start out, we've here base training. That's like a thing that a lot of people talk about, especially this time of year. Mm -hmm. And it totally applies to mountain bikers too. We generally have a pretty good aerobic base because the majority of our riding falls within that range. It's lower intensity until we hit a steep climb and then we recover for a bit, you know, but we try to keep the intensity low. In most cases, mountain bikers do. So, um, when they're riding along going up and then they just pin it on the downs, that's when we go hard. So let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of kind of giving like a broad overview of what to yeah. do. Let's talk about what 
you just made your list of what races you're doing this year, right? Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about that. Okay. And then talk about specifically what you're going to do. Cool. Yeah. Cause it's actually pretty normal. So it should apply yeah. to everybody. So perfect. Uh, basically I'm, I am just now starting training because of being off from any injury. So that means that I'm kicking off my base training. I have races that I've picked out for the year and that's how I structure my training for the whole year around that. Basically I have a big goal and that big goal for me is national championships in July. So I count backwards from there and know how much time I have. And then I try to understand what I can do within that time frame. Okay. Right. Now I know that come race day, I'm going to want to have a specific type of fitness for that track. So for example, for cross country, I'm going to be racing in West Virginia and it's going to be a lot of short, hard efforts. Even if I'm climbing, it's going to be creeks, rocks, moss, everything else. Yeah. So because of that, I'm going to have to have the type of fitness where I can go way over my threshold and then come back down and repeat that over and over and over for an hour and a half to two hours. Okay. That should be what the race is going to be like. So because of that, I'm going to want to build, end up somewhere around there where I'm proficient at that type of fitness. Of course. So that's the, that's the goal. I, in between then that's my a races nationals, but in between then I have B races and I have C races is what I call them. A B race is one where I might actually be like testing out a strategy that I'll use on race day. So maybe it's a nutrition strategy. Maybe I'm thinking of going with a different type of mix or something in my bottles or just normal water or certain type of, you know, or a certain amount of water, right. Or nutrition or a part on your bike or a setup on your bike that you want to test out. Yeah. I would do those at a B race for sure. Yeah. And use those as kind of testing grounds on how I'm feeling, but also how everything is set up. And then there are also C races, which are like the twilight series stuff, like the local Tuesday night race series where it's not high, it's not high priority. And if I go out and I get last in that race, I actually don't care. I'll just have different objectives. Like those races, I just look at them as workouts and I want to go as hard as I can or do whatever the goal is at that point. Yeah. So that's how I plan out the year with events. I try to plan my A race and have a few B races scattered closely to that somewhat closely and then C races long before then. Um, I think racing is a good way to get in some workouts uh, before then. But then with the training side of things, basically I just look at it like this. I think, okay, from the beginning, I want to start out and build an aerobic base, just like a house. You're talking about building a foundation, like a steady foundation for a house. You want to have a steady foundation of aerobic fitness and muscular endurance and make sure everything is sound. Uh, if you try to pour a bunch of concrete into a foundation and then you start building on it the next day, it's may appear like everything is okay, but cracks are going to develop pretty soon. Of course. Right. And it's the same thing with your fitness. You have to take your time with that. And so I usually take 12 weeks. That's what our trainer road plans have. It's 12 weeks. Um, and 12 weeks is substantial time for you to really build up that aerobic base and make it last. The cool thing is once you really focus on that, and what I mean by that is if you're to do like a zero to 10 effort scale, really working somewhere around seven and a half, seven out of 10, because your threshold is actually around your functional threshold is what people talk about. That's around seven and a half. So if you work, I'm not saying go as hard as you can. If you're right there around seven out of 10 and you're spending as much time as you can around there during your base period, you'll be building that aerobic fitness, but also priming the engine for something more a little later too. You don't just have to go easy. Yeah. So I'll do a lot of that for 12 weeks. Then on the build, then after that, I enter something I call the build phase. And in that build phase, I focus on raising my threshold. So that's when I'll be crossing that threshold and going harder than that pretty regularly. Of course. Um, and then once I get down to the specialty side of things, then I really focus on just thinking, okay, for that race, 
how many efforts per lap and how long are they going to be? And then my training gets really focused based on that. So it's, it's kind of logical stuff. And I think the biggest thing though, that we screw up with is number one, we think that every workout needs to absolutely destroy us. And that's not the case. Um, really you need to think of every bit of work you do, you do needs to be offset with rest. Okay. And for mountain bikers, that's very important because if you do a really hard workout one day and the next day you go out and you ride a trail, that's really fun, but climbing up to it, it absolutely kills you. It's going to be tough to recover from all that stress you put on the day before if you're doing that. So that's basically how I lay it out. And I think that, um, this is, this is going to seem pluggy, but honestly, the, the podcast that I do for trainer road, this is like what they talk about all day, but a much more specificity than that. And uh, a lot of people get advice through that. So if people do have questions there on the training side of things, they can just ask through there and you'll get a a really clear and detailed response there. So, but that's how I'm laying out my training because that's my goal as national champs. But what's your goal for this year? Do you have a specific race or is it just racing a certain number of races for a certain amount of time or honestly, I, this year, I think it's going to be more adventure and having fun. It's not going to be a race year at all for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I honestly do not have any race goals for the season. Cause you are training right now. Of course. And that's the interesting thing. I think a lot of people think that if I don't race, I don't need to train, but it's not the case. No, not at all. Like if you train you, it's just going to make your days more enjoyable on the bike. Yeah. It'd be faster. Yeah. I just started my base training on trainer road Yeah. before my knee injury a week ago skiing because I'm not good at it, <laughs> but that's okay. He's going to end up on Jerry of the day soon. It'll be good. So, so all, um, if you guys have questions on training or anything else like that, like I said, trainer road is a place to ask them other ask a cycling coach podcast, but also you can send it in here. And, and if it seems better for trainer road, I'll probably will answer it as a team on there. Um, but if you have questions, we can answer them here too. So yeah. let us know, uh, picks let's go into those and finish off with that. Uh, our, our product picks, so to speak. And both you and I both have Kuat racks. We do. They're awesome people. They're, they're like, good people. They're really good people. They send you beer when you buy racks from them yeah. as a dealer. No, and, and also as an industry member, they've done the same for me and I don't drink beer. Yeah. So I gave it away. Okay. And that's okay. Fair enough. Anyways, they, they make really good racks and I have the Kuat transfer, which is an amazing rack for the price. For the money, you cannot. It is insane. It yeah. is so good. It's super sturdy. Yeah. Um, they have uh, the the they have a system to make sure that it's very steadily. You know, it's mounted very steadily into the the receiver. Yeah. It's uh, robust. It works. Yeah. And it's a really simple design too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's not a lot that can go wrong with it. And if it goes wrong, you can replace the parts, which is cool. Yeah. And they're cheap. They're just a really good company, and I like that bike rack. Yeah. You, which one do you have? I have the Envy 2.0. Okay. I had the original Envy, loved it. Fancy one. It is the fancy one. And I have to say that that rack is worth every penny. That good, huh? It is a really phenomenal rack. Everything that I complained about with the original Envy fixed with the 2.0. Sure, the price went up, but honestly, just an amazing rack. So easy to use, so easy to work with. And it's actually a beautiful piece. Like I like leaving it on the back of my forerunner because it just looks good. And I think that both of us are on, on the same page with clamping on wheels. That is the way to do it with a bike rack. Yes. Don't get a one that clamps onto your frame. I, yeah, 
cannot stand anything that clamps over the top tube or yes. grips the down tube. I'm just not, no. It's a bad idea. It's a very bad idea. And there are many people I know that have gotten ones like that, and after a month of them carting their bike back and forth somewhere, you can see a great wear mark in their frame right Absolutely. There. And if you have an aluminum frame or a carbon frame or any frame, it's going to wear in and cause damage. Yeah. So because your bike is going to wobble and you will have dust on your bike and it's not going to be just a perfectly clean environment that wouldn't cause that. So yeah, clamp on the tires. That's the only way to go. Even on roof racks. That's what I like. Yeah. Um, if you're going to run roof racks, I, I have the Thule sidearms there. They're, they're uh, I guess over, they're a little bulky, I would say, and they're not too solid, but they, they work yeah. well. Um, but that's another one It just clamps on the tire. It's really easy. The benefit of that too, is you can fit anybody's bike yeah. on there. You don't have to worry about, Oh no, the axles don't work or you know, your frame is shaped weird. So it doesn't work. Yeah. So, but I'm thinking of getting a new one. And what are you thinking about getting? Well, first the reason. Yeah. I, what's I, going on? I feel like when I see the bike rack on my truck, sometimes I feel like I'm, people probably think I carry around like an old person motorized shopping cart. One of the rascals or rascals hover, or hover around. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? I'd be worried that Pop Warner kids would be trying to kick footballs into your <laughs> bed when it's It does look like folded. a goalpost. It does kind of look, it like, does a look like a goalpost. Yeah. As we just said, it's a good rack. We're making fun yeah, of it now. It, it's but a it's, super good yeah, rack. Yeah, it is. It really is. It's really functional, but um, I'm I'm pretty vain and I, I'm, I'm very concerned with aesthetics all the time. And with this one, I think that especially with my truck, because I, I, I have a Tacoma, one of the newer ones, so it's got kind of a a bold look to it. And this rack is somewhat shapely, I yeah. guess you could say. So curvy. What are you, what are you looking to go into? I'm thinking of going with the Sherpa. The Sherpa 2.0 is an amazing rack. The thing looks clean. It's super clean. It's super simple. It's, it's like a mini envy 2.0. Yeah. It's a great rack. It, I, why should I go for the, why should I not go for the Sherpa? Cause you'd want to spend more money on an NV 2.0. That's the only reason to not get the Sherpa. And I guess that the NV has, um, it has the, uh, the work stand that you can get and the Sherpa doesn't have that option. Of course. So there's that. Uh, there's a slight difference in wheelbase. Um, the Sherpa's capacity, a little shorter. Short, yeah. It only holds like a 47 inch wheelbase bike instead of a 48, but not a big deal. My SB yeah. 5.5 fits on both of them. And that's one of the biggest bikes you're going to find. Yeah. Short of a downhill bike. So, I think the Sherpa 2.0 is a great choice. It's good looking. It's a beautiful rack. Yeah. So I think that's what I'm going to get nice. there. So, and, and I'm all for hitch rack, by the way, instead of on roof racks, I've just seen too many people drive into their garages with them. Um, I've, I know of a friend who is, he's, he's an Uber nerd and he has built up a system that basically has it, it beeps at him and lets him know, when his he's driving in and he has bikes on top and it lets him know right as he pulls into his driveway. So then he doesn't drive into them into the garage, which is really smart. And he should kickstart that idea. He should, he should, but, um, it's, I'm definitely all for bikes on the back. Yeah. So, well, that'll be interesting to see your review on that once you get it. Yeah. I don't know when that'll happen. There are a lot of things to get. So yeah, just the same. Anyways, uh, next week, uh, we'll be having some, uh, pro- hopefully some super cross talk because round one will have happened. Which will be exciting. Moto. And hopefully we see a lot of these downhill mountain bikers get rides instead of just press releases about them being quote off rides. So hopefully we see a bunch of them getting rides. That'd be good to see. It'd so, be great. 
Yeah, no doubt. Thanks for joining us, everybody. You can find this podcast on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, and you can leave reviews there on Stitcher and on Google Play Store, forgive me, and also on iTunes. Uh, You can leave reviews. Please do so. And share this podcast with anybody else that's a mountain biker. Uh, If you do that, we're forever indebted. Um, We appreciate it. And if you have questions, send them in. We'll answer them next time. Yes. That'll do. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next week. Have a nice day. Hey, guys. Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.